pray together. Father, again, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that, uh, that you are able to create in us a clean heart, Father, because we desperately need it. Our hearts are soiled by uh, rebellion. They're soiled by sin. They're soiled by our attempts to make life work apart from you, God. But we're thankful in the gospel our hearts can be made clean. So, Father, we pray that you would do that in our hearts this morning and speak to our hearts through your word, Lord, because we long for you, our soul and our hearts thirst for you. So meet us in this place, in Christ's name, amen. This, uh, this Monday is a big day in the city of Baltimore, and that's because uh, the Baltimore Orioles are returning to town. They've teased us uh, in spring training in Florida for the past couple of weeks, but now uh, they are returning to start the baseball season in Baltimore. Uh, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we looked at the book of James, and there's a passage in the book of James that talks about favoritism in the church, and especially pastors aren't supposed to have favorites. But uh, this morning, I have to say that Brian Wilcox is my favorite person at City Church because he is taking me to open day, opening day tomorrow. Uh, so I have to confess that. But uh, for a long time, opening day was not so exciting in Baltimore because the team had done really poorly just year after year after year. And over the past couple of years, they've managed to kind of turn things around and the city has gotten back behind the team and everybody's a lot more excited about baseball here in Baltimore. And, and part of that turnaround came from the arrival of a new manager named Buck Showalter, if you don't know baseball at all. But Buck's become a bit of a hero in Baltimore. Uh, He's respected, he's honored, and uh, the man can really do no wrong in this city. And part of the reason is because for for years we had a revolving door of managers for the Baltimore Orioles, all kind of new upstart young managers that that couldn't really figure things out or get things uh, in the road to bring a successful team until Buck came. And he managed to really turn things around. And part of the thing that I think that people love so much about him is he's just a guy that oozes wisdom. You ever run into these people before? People that just seem to ooze wisdom. He's been a manager at a bunch of different teams. He's been on Seinfeld before. I mean, he's done all sorts of things so that when you interact with him, he just seems like a guy who knows what he's doing. And the city, because of that, seems to trust him implicitly with, what, with, with uh, their baseball team. And wisdom really is this kind of per- personal mix between knowledge and experience. You know, you can't just be smart and be wise, or you can't just have lots of experience and be wise, but it's the perfect application of those two things. And actually, wisdom is something that all of us really long for. Life throws us all sorts of situations all, every day, day in and day out, where, that require wisdom. Situations where we wish that we had perspective, or we wish that we had wisdom for life, and we desire it at our inmost person. You know, if you've been with us the past couple weeks, you'll know that we've been, uh, throughout the Lenten season, we've been looking at a certain group of psalms that exist in the larger book of psalms, and they're Psalms 120 to Psalms 134, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And we know from, from studying history that these were actually songs that were sung by God's people as they traveled to Jerusalem, they're traveling songs, they're, they're songs for the road that God's people would sing to one another as they traveled to Jerusalem for several religious festivals that they would have to go to each and every year. And tucked in these psalms, these psalms of ascent, 
is this Psalm 128, and most people consider this psalm to be a psalm that talks about wisdom or a wisdom psalm. You know, the Bible, the Bible as a whole talks a lot about wisdom. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom, the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Job. There's all sorts of wisdom literature that's kind of riddled all throughout the scriptures. And almost every time you look at the wisdom literature, it seems to center around one very important idea that tends to be the key to godly wisdom, and that is this whole idea of the fear of the Lord, or what it means to live lives that are lived in the fear of the Lord. It's the key to wisdom. Now, fear is not a strange concept to us. All of us, no matter who we are, have certain fears that exist about life. Yesterday, we took our, uh, our family to the circus, and I've never been a huge fan of clowns. I don't know about you. I, I wouldn't call it a fear, but I've never been a huge fan of clowns. But of course, if you go to the circus, there are clowns everywhere. So to some degree, I had to come to terms with my general dislike of clowns as we sat there. But often when we think of fear, we think of fear in two categories. There are are objects or things that we are legitimately afraid of. Maybe for you, you're afraid of the dark or you're afraid of heights or you're afraid of speaking in public or you're afraid of dogs or some sort of animal, whatever it might be. Maybe there's a certain object that you as a person are afraid of. But I think more often than not, our fears have much more to do with the fear of the unknown. We look at life and we notice that it tends to be unpredictable. There tends to be uh, just certain things that happen out of the blue, and that scares us to death. We never know what life could have for us later today or tomorrow or later this week. There's an unpredictability of life, so we're kind of, our fears are kind of wrapped up in these what-ifs. What if this happens to me, or what if that happens to me? And, and often we lie awake at night afraid of the unknowns of life or afraid of the what-ifs and unpredictability of life. But what I want to look this morning is, is, is what the fear of the Lord has to do with all those other fears. If the key to wisdom is fearing the Lord, then what does that mean about all the other fears that tend to capture our hearts in life? Does it apply to those things? Does it affect those things? And what does it mean for me to try to be a person of wisdom and fear the Lord at the same time? So what I'd like to do this morning is just look very quickly before we come to the Lord's table about three aspects of what it means to really fear the Lord. The first is that the fear of the Lord recognizes that God is God and that we are not. That God is God and we are not. Now, that seems really simple. That seems like something that is common sense or something that's really simple that we should understand. Yet it often is a concept that tends to escape us in life. The concept that God is the creator, that he is God, and that we are his creation. We are his creatures. But that simple fact is something that we tend to confuse in our own hearts all the time. We confuse that distinction because our MO or our, standing, our standard operating procedure often in life is to act as if we are our own gods. To act as if we are in control of our own lives. It becomes our default mode. And that is actually why we have so many fears of the unknown. 
It's trying to be our own gods that tend to fuel those what-if questions that keep us up at night because we're scared about what may come down the road of life. And we're reminded by the unpredictability of life that we actually are not in control. And often that scares us to death. Our circumstances often remind us that we are fundamentally out of control of what happens in the day-to-day of our lives. And the randomness of life reminds us very vividly that we are creatures who are subject to all sorts of things that tend to be out of our control. But wisdom in those moments says something very powerful because wisdom points us to a sovereign God who's not caught by the surprises of life. He's not caught by surprise of the unpredictability of life. He's not on the sidelines wondering what's going to happen, but it recognizes that he is the sovereign creator that has control of all things. And it reminds us that we are his creatures. We are his creation. And incidentally, this is the only way I think we can find comfort in life. I feel like, as I was reflecting on just my own life and the unpredictability of it, I was reminded of so many friends, it seems like recently, that have had all sorts of tragic things that have happened to them. You ever feel like that happens through certain seasons of your life? You know, whether it's on Facebook or some sort of social media, they've, they've announced to all of us some tragic things that have happened Friends, friends that have children that have faced all sorts of tragedies, uh, tr- illnesses, things that, are, that have just bubbled up in their lives that just seem too big for them. And our hearts break, wondering why God would allow such sadness in their lives and such sadness in our lives. But the only comfort, really the only comfort whenever we're faced with those sorts of things is understanding that God's in control. You know, often he doesn't give us the answers. In fact, regularly he doesn't give us the answers, but he does remind us that he is in control, that he is the creator, and that we are his creatures. And the fear of the Lord recognizes this in a very, very profound way. But the second thing that the fear of the Lord recognizes is it recognizes something else about God. It recognizes that he is the creator and that we are not, but it also recognizes very powerfully the justice of God. The justice of God. You know, as, as we've read Psalm 128, you recognize that, that it's a very joyful psalm. You know, as we've traveled throughout the Psalms of Ascent, we've noticed that not all of them are joyful. Some are full of despair. Some are full of sadness. Uh, they're the stuff of real life. But this psalm, Psalm 128, is full of joy. It's full of happiness and words about that because it tells us that someone who fears the Lord and walks in his way is someone who is full of joy and lives a blessed life. It says in verse 2 that someone who fears the Lord is blessed with wellness. They're blessed with fruitful labor. They're blessed with uh, a fruitful wife and, and many, many children. And in the ancient Near Eastern culture, Uh, That was the symbol of blessing. In in the ancient world, the symbol of blessing was was many children and a fruitful wife. And it talks about how walking in the way of the Lord brings those things. This term blessing or blessed that the psalm continues to talk about really could be translated as happy or joyful. In that the person who walks in the way of the Lord is full of joy and they're full of happiness And they're full of contentment about the nature of life. And it's a theme that we see consistently all throughout the scriptures. And that is that blessings come 
from obedience to the Lord. That blessings and happiness come from walking in His ways, from from fearing the Lord, from walking in His path. But there's also an equal amount of material all throughout the Scriptures that say the exact opposite as well. And that is that there is curses and punishment for those that do not walk in His way. For those people that try to be their own gods, who try to walk down their own path, there's all sorts of sadness and, and curses and punishment that, become, that come through that. So consistently you see throughout the Scriptures that God is a God of justice. He's one that rewards those who walk in His path, and He's one that does not reward those or punishes those who choose to walk in their own way. And the fear of the Lord is the thing that recognizes this. It recognizes God's uh, profound judgment. And you know, the the idea of God's judgment, the idea of God's justice is a very, very unpopular concept in our culture today. Most people want to talk about a God who's, who's all about love. And we, of course, do celebrate a God who is about love, but in some ways we've redefined even what it means to love. Many of you know that, that I teach a, a course here at the university, and uh, I teach a course called Introduction to Biblical Studies, and essentially what it is is it's a Bible survey course where we start at the beginning of the Bible, and we walk through the Bible all throughout the semester. And just a couple weeks ago, we came to the book of Proverbs, and we talked about this very idea of the fear of the Lord and what that means. So I asked my students at that moment, I said, the Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. Does that mean that we're supposed to be afraid of God? Are we supposed to be scared of God? And almost every hand shot up in the class and they said, no, 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 it's not about being afraid of God. It's about revering and respecting Him. But it has nothing to do with fear, with with actually being afraid of Him or fearing Him. But one student was really brave. And she went against the rest of the class. She raised her hand and she said, well, maybe... Maybe it does mean that we're supposed to fear God. And I said, well, what do, you mean, what do you mean by that? Why do you say that? And what she was doing is she was thinking about everything that she'd read in the Scriptures up to that point. She was thinking of some of the passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and she was thinking of some of the passages that she'd seen, seen in Joshua. And she saw that in some cases God is absolutely a God of love, but in some cases He's a God of vengeance And he's a God of wrath. So it made her pause and wonder, what does it mean to really fear the Lord? What does it really mean to come to terms with the justice of God and what that means? And as hard as it is to recognize and as as anti-cultural as it is to recognize, this is the kind of God that we actually desire. We actually desire fundamentally that, we, that God is a just God. We want a God who will powerfully respond to the injustice that exists in our world as well. I don't know how many of you rushed out and saw the, the movie Noah this weekend. I didn't get to see it. and There's so much controversy over this movie uh, about Noah. Um, I'm not sure whether I'll ever get to see it. Maybe I will at some point. But I read an article one week uh, or one day this week about this this movie Noah that's now out. And uh, it talked about the screenwriter and and why he wrote the story the way he did. And uh, one of the things that the article remarks is that the screenwriter actually does a very, very good job at communicating the wickedness that existed in the world. 
So much so that if you're watching this movie, if, if, if you're sitting here watching this movie, you're actually cheering for God to come in judgment and judge the wickedness that exists in our world. You see, deeply, we don't want a God who is powerless in the face of evil. We want him at our core to enact justice at all the places of injustice that exists in our world. We want him to enact cosmic justice. But often, though we want him to, to enact cosmic justice, we, don't, we balk at any sort of personal judgment that God may have at the nature of our lives and the character of our lives. But if we really stop deceiving ourselves, if we really honestly look into our hearts and our lives and stop deceiving ourselves, we often realize that we have not feared the Lord with our lives. We have not walked in his ways the way we ought to. Instead, we have chosen to be our own gods. We have chosen to rebel and we have chosen to go our own way. And because of that, We do not deserve all the blessings that are mentioned in Psalm 128. In fact, we deserve quite the opposite. And part of understanding what it means to fear the Lord is to come to terms with that very fact. It's recognizing that God is who he is and we are who we are. It's recognizing that God is just. It's recognizing that he is full of wrath and judgment But ultimately, it recognizes the deep, deep love of God. And that's the third thing. The fear of the Lord recognizes the amazing love of God. You see, Psalm 28 speaks of all these blessings. It speaks of all this blessed life that one will live if they perfectly walk in the way of the Lord. If they perfectly follow His commands and His statutes. If they perfectly follow Him with their lives. Yet the scriptures also tell us that really there was only one person who ever actually truly accomplished Psalm 128. There was really only one person who ever lived who walked perfectly in the way of the Lord. There's only one person who ever really and truly deserved the blessings of God and his name was Jesus. Yet the gospel tells us that instead of being blessed, he was cursed. Instead of happiness, instead of joy, instead of the blessed life, the scriptures tell us he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And in doing so, in living the life that he did, in walking the path that he did, he took the punishment that you and I deserve. So much so that you and I don't actually have to fear God's judgment. We don't have to fear his wrath. We don't have to fear the punishment that we deserve because Christ took that punishment for us when he sacrificed himself on the cross. And the more we recognize that our second point, the more we recognize the depth of God's justice, the more we will be amazed at the depth of his love and his mercy for us. Because those who have received his gift of mercy no longer need to fear his wrath, no longer need to fear his justice, no longer need to fear his punishment, but our fear becomes transformed. Our fear becomes changed. I don't know if there's, there's, a, there's a show that used to be on television. I don't know if it's, it's on television anymore, uh, but it was a show that was called um, 
uh, the Antique Roadshow. I don't know if you've ever seen this. But the Antique Roadshow uh, talks about how uh, it, it, it's a, it follows these uh, appraisers or antiquers that go from city to city and they hold these conventions. And uh, in, these, in these conventions, uh, people really kind of just bring their junk, right? They empty their attic and, and the boxes that they have in their attic, hoping that maybe something that's up there actually has uh, some sort of value. When I thought about the fear of the Lord, I remember one, one person giving this illustration about what it means to have a transformed fear of the Lord when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they said it was like a teapot on the antique roadshow. And I was, I was instantly intrigued. And they said, imagine you're on the antique roadshow and you, you have this teapot that's been stuck in your attic forever, Right? And, and you hear that Antique Roadshow is coming into town, so you get your junk out of the attic and you take it to these appraisers and you bring your box of junk in front of the appraisers and you pull out this teapot. And instantly, the antique guy, the antique expert, is amazed at this teapot. They say all sorts of things about your teapot that you thought was junk, and he says, you know, this is a very special teapot, and it's actually worth Ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Now, are you going to take that teapot, put it back in that box, and just throw it back in your attic after that? No. You've recognized that that teapot has great value now, so you're going to take good care of it. You're going to you're going to clean it. You might put it in your mantle on on the most prominent and safe spot. Uh, in your house where no damage could happen, where nothing could hurt it, where nothing could upset that teapot because you realize there's so much value to that teapot that you want to do everything that you can to protect it. Well, the point is that is what happens to our fear of the Lord when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we no longer have to fear the punishment of God, but now we've recognized the great value that comes in a relationship with Him. So we treat that relationship with the value that it deserves. We treat it with care. We don't want to do anything that that would damage that relationship. So our heart's desire is to walk in the way of the Lord, not because we're afraid of punishment, but because that relationship is so valuable to us that there is nothing at all that we would ever want to do to damage that relationship. Our relationship with Him is of such value that we would want to do nothing at all to upset or damage it. And that is the very thing of what the fear of the Lord looks like for someone who's entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We no longer have to fear the punishment that we deserve because Christ took that punishment for us And instead, it transforms our life into a different sort of wisdom, a different sort of fear of the Lord that values that relationship above all others. And this is the very thing that wisdom teaches us. Because the key to wisdom is recognizing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes in recognizing that in Christ we no longer have to fear His punishment. It was taken care of in Christ's perfect sacrifice on our behalf, and because of Him, we get to experience all the blessings of Psalm 128, not because we've walked in the way of the Lord, but because Christ did it on our behalf.
He took our punishment. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And He did it for us so that we could experience the blessings of knowing Him. This wisdom is the fuel for living the life of faith before God. So the question for all of us is, do you know this love? Do you know the love that's offered for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And have you experienced His free gift of grace that is made available to you in Jesus Christ? I read a story this week, another one of those tragic stories that I told you about. I read one of those tragic stories this week in the news. I think it came out of London. But it was a story about how uh, a woman was waiting on the front steps of, of her um, home, waiting for her 11-year-old son to come home uh, from school. And uh, she's standing there, and she sees the, the bus that pulls up, and her son gets off the bus. And almost immediately after he steps off, off that bus, tragically, he is hit by an oncoming car that's coming in the other direction. She says she watched in horror as her son was kind of flung across their, their front yard and she's just sitting there watching all of this play out right in front of her. She immediately runs to her son who at this point is, is, is laying lifeless uh, on her front yard and she, she gets to him and he's unresponsive. He's, he's knocked out and his whole face is blue and she's immediately scared to death that she has, that she has lost her son. But as she tells the story, she tells the story about how these, these medics and paramedics came almost immediately and began breathing life back into her son. They took him to the hospital and, and took incredible care for him. And the doctors came and did everything that was needed to be done in order to bring this boy back to life. And, and just three to four weeks later, he was, he was back to being just a normal boy again. But she, her heart was so transformed by what these doctors and paramedics had done by saving her son that she went back to the hospital. She found every single doctor and every single medic that had worked on her son, that had saved her son life and went before them and said, is there anything I can do for you to thank you for what you have done in saving my son? And she did this. Why did she do this? She did this because she recognized the value of what they had done in terms of saving her very own son. So that relationship with them had become so precious that she wanted to do whatever she could to express her gratitude to those paramedics for what they had done. Well, the gospel tells us a very similar story. Because the gospel tells us that God himself sacrificed his very own son so that you and I could receive all the blessings as if we had walked in the way of the Lord. That is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel that's offered to you and I today. That if we walk with Jesus in this relationship with faith, if we ex accept this good news of grace that exists in our life, we no longer have to fear His judgment. We no longer have to fear His, his justice. We no longer have to fear His wrath. We no longer have to fear the very things that we deserve because of our sin. But instead, we look forward to the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ because He sacrificed His very own Son for us so that we could experience life eternal.